Amen. Thank you, Lord. The Lord's good. And I think one thing the Lord has been showing me is about families. And this was a great uh, baby dedication because I believe there's going to be a revival that's going to come. And one thing that uh, happens in all revivals, in every revival that's probably ever come in the church age, is a lot of families wind up losing something in a revival. Churches lose things in a revival. And why, why do they lose things? Is because they get so caught up in what God's doing that they forget things that God cares deeply about. And God is wanting to tell His people that when He moves in power to make sure you take care of your natural family, your children and the people, and, and make sure you take care of your church family. Because He wants to preserve the church through a mighty move and he wants to preserve families through a mighty move because you know what the way God has always moved is he moves in power and then there's an ebbing of it and see many times uh, churches have been lost because they put everything into this move of God but they forgot the things that were important that God did not want them to forget so I want to encourage all of us today is, is, you know, take care of your family because God is family. And that thing that Dean said about Abraham, the Lord said to Abraham, in you all the families of the earth would be blessed. In the, the families of the earth. God is a father first and foremost. He's a family man. And he, that's how he wants us to be. He wants us to be real family-oriented. And to take care of our families. Amen? Amen? That's just my little thought for the day. Amen. So I'm going to share a little bit about, uh, I want to talk to you about the love of God and I want to talk to you about suffering. Those are really two uh, terrible things that seem to go together. But, um, you know, we've had lots of revelation about God's love in the past few years. And it's been awesome, hasn't, hasn't it? Hasn't it been wonderful how God has poured out revelation about His love? And can, many of the songs we sing are really focused around knowing God's love and experiencing God's love. And, um, you know, you, 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 think, you think you know about God's love until you have another encounter with His love. And then you realize you don't really know what you thought you know. Um, and so I had this encounter with God's love last uh, several weeks ago that was really powerful for me personally. Um, and I felt tremendously loved by God in that moment. Uh, amazingly loved. But I also felt amazingly loving. You know what I'm talking about. Not only did I feel powerfully loved... I felt powerfully loving, and I had supernatural love flowing through me for, for hours, and I believe that's the compassion of the Lord that God wants to release in the earth. You know, God has been loving on us, and he, we're going to hit a tipping point where that love is going to tip over, and it's going to pour out of us, and when it does, it's going to be amazing. That's 
what I believe is going to happen in the earth is it's going to, the church is going to hit the tipping point of God's love. I don't think we're there yet, but I think we're going to hit this tipping point where this love is just going to start pouring out. And when it does, it's an unstoppable, irresistible force. When you start feeling God's love for other people, you will not be able to resist it. It will bring you to your knees. It will cause you to do things that you could never do just by trying to do the right thing. Amen? Amen. Um, so after I had this encounter, later in that day, I'm not going to tell you the details of the encounter because that's not important. The main thing, it was just God coming, surprising me with His love in a moment. Just in the part of my day later, that day I went to the mailbox and I had a package in the mailbox sent to me from Bonnie Jones. It was Bob Jones's widow. And they had, in 2010, they had decided to write this book uh, about Bob Jones's experience when he died, the first time he died. He's, you know, he's one of these kind of people who keeps dying and coming. <laughs> Finally, he just died and stayed dead. <laughs> but he died and went to heaven. And, you know, he came back. Uh, this was in the 70s. It was 40 years ago. Uh, this happened on August the 8th. was the 40th anniversary of this thing happening to him. And he, he went through this long process, uh, and he, it came his time to, to face the Lord. And the Lord asked him a question. And it was the same question he asked everybody, is, did you learn to love? That was the question. Did you learn to love? And... You know, some people did, were able to answer that, some, some didn't. And anyways, she sent me the book that her and Bob had worked on before Bob died, and she finally finished it. It's really an awesome book. I really recommend it because they go through in the book. You can get it on Amazon, or you can go on the website, bobjones.org, and get it. But... They go through the interview that she went through. She interviewed Bob, and they wrote down everything that he said about this encounter. And I, he's, I've heard him tell this encounter a bunch of times. There's a few little details in the book that I didn't, I didn't never catch, or he never said. Um, and I knew. And then there's other parts of the book where they just she writes about love and all of that. But it's really, really just. A joy. It's did you learn to love the capstone of Bob Jones's prophetic ministry? I was really thinking about that. You know how God has poured out uh, since the '80s a powerful wave of His Spirit on the prophetic on the church. I mean, if you were there before, prophecy's always been around. But really, in the '80s, there was a, a directed move by God that began in, in the '80s, where God raised up many people to prophesy. Many, many people. And a lot of stuff that we take for granted today was back in the 80s was radical. You know, it was really radical. And, and today it's just the, the normal thing. That's how it sort of goes. You know, everybody gets all offended about it. Back then, today, it's like everybody prophesies because the Bible says everybody can. And that's really what God wanted to do. But I believe the thing, the thing that I was thinking, is that, that if that was the capstone of Bob Jones's ministries was learning to love, it, was that the whole point that God had in the prophetic ministry? It was ultimately he wanted the, the church to learn to love. 
I'm just thinking out loud. Is that really what this whole prophetic thing really all boils down to? Not just giving people words and, you know, which is very encouraging and comfort, but really it was really to, to provoke something in us that we would be people that would learn what real love is and how to love people and really do it with the love of God. So, that's a thought. Did you learn to love? And I think that's a good question. So I'm going to share just a little bit on this. Uh, I'm going to read this scripture in Philippians 3, uh, verse 4 through 11. And this has not been one of my most favorite scriptures. Um, Some pieces of it are really good, but let me just read it. Uh, This is Paul, you know, sort of giving his, his thoughts about himself and about what God has done in his life. He says, though I might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. In other words, he was saying, you think you're something? I'm better in the flesh. <laughs> I'm going to up you on it. Uh, circumcised the eighth day. This is a Jew of Jews, man. I mean, circumcised. Notice I said a Jew of Jews. You, if you think you're confident, I'm more confident. Jew of Jews, man. Come on, you Jewish people. Y'all are supposed to be supporting this. You know, what I'm, you know what I'm talking about. You know. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Woo! Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That's pretty amazing. But, because I'll tell you what, I, don't, I was never blameless on the the righteousness of the law <laughs> for about two seconds. But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Or really, that's a bad, that's a really a light translation because it doesn't mean rubbish. It means... It means something that comes out of people's bodies that we call waste. And, but it's not really said that nice in the original language. That's what he, he counted everything, counted all he just said. That's just doo-doo to me. <laughs> that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection. That was really beautiful. And then it just sort of starts going downhill. And the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. I've heard a lot of really great preachers preach about that particular part, the fellowship of his suffering and being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain. And it's, I've heard really great stuff said about that, but I've always went away disappointed, if you know what I mean, that it really didn't, it really wasn't for me. It just didn't ring in my heart and didn't satisfy my heart of what this really means. And today, you may go away feeling the same way about what I'm fixing to say, but that's okay. You know, God will show you what that really means. But 
the question number one is what drives your life? What drives your life? Um, you know, our life, and this is what it is. You're driven by what you love, what you care about, and what you believe. That's what you're driven by. That's what pushes you. That's what motivates you is, is the things you care about, the things you love, and the things you really believe in. And so you can tell a person, you know, a passionate person. Paul was a passionate person with, without God. He was passionate he just said all this. He did all these things because he had a, a burning passion in him. And as he became, you know, converted and as he became transformed by the mind of, of God and the Holy Spirit, his, the passion, the real passion, turned to this person of, of Christ. And, and that was what he, Paul's passionate about. Paul, let me say this. Paul was not passionate about theology. And the church has lifted Paul up to be this great theologian. And if he would come back today, he would say, don't do that to me. Lift me up as being a great, passionate lover of the person of Christ. Lift me up to that. You can have all the other stuff. I want this person, even though his theology is the greatest, is the high point of theology when we think of theology in the Bible. Romans, you know, is like the ultimate book if you want to know the, the theology of Christianity. And he wrote it under the power of the Holy Spirit. But that was not was the thing that drove him. And that, that was not the thing that really captured his heart. You know, it was this passion for Christ. And uh, passionate people, you know, expressed their passion. Um, he said something interesting. I wanted to say this in verse 8. Uh, he said, I count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Um, if you, this was surprising. That word for knowledge there is not the knowledge that we would think. It's not intimate knowledge. It's not relational knowledge. It's intellectual knowledge. Isn't that amazing? It's mind law. Uh, uh, it's your mind. It's your rational thinking. Yet this man was so passionate about God. He said, just having the middle. Rational, intelligent thoughts about Christ would be worth throwing everything away just for that. Now that is a man who God has captured his heart if he could say that. Did you get that? Now I was thinking all these years it was, it was a heart knowledge, it was a relational knowledge that he was talking about in that moment. That he would throw her away, away from that. I get that. I threw everything away for Becky. I threw away all the other girls and some dreams to have her. But it wasn't my mental knowledge of her. It was my heart knowledge of her. And I always thought that's what he was talking about there. But he wasn't. And I thought, my goodness, it could only mean one thing. He was so far deep into his heart knowledge of God that he saw, even if it was only head knowledge, it would be worth everything to know him. Everything. That's a passionate person. But having said that, in verse 10, he makes sure that we know what he was talking about. That I might know. That's the heart. That I might know him. That I might have a relationship with him. That I might have this love for him. I might have this companionship with him. That's the thing. You know, for some people, God is, a, is, is about information. 
God is about information, about how what we know about God, what we know about the Bible. And we try to study God, to learn about God, and, and figure God out. But for Paul, it was none of that. For Paul, it was he was consumed by, by this God, by this person. That's the thing he was going for was this person. He didn't want to know about this person. He wanted to know the person. He wanted to know the person. And that drove him. That was a thing that captured his life. Because our Christianity really is, is supposed to be that. Our Christianity is not supposed to be about learning about the Bible, learning about the church, learning about God and the Godhead and the Trinity, you know, and, and, the, and the, all these things. It's not anything about this. It's, it's discovering this person and having a relationship with him. And the great and beautiful thing about it, as we discover him and begin to know him, all this other information is at, it comes along. All this other stuff. He says, no, by the way, I'm going to explain the blood to you, Melissa Forsyth, because that's important for you to know. It's important for you to understand why everybody's talking about blood and, and, and throwing blood everywhere. But it wouldn't be important to her if she didn't have this relationship with the Lord. You know? And it's like, oh, by the way, you want to know about the Trinity? I can talk to you about the Trinity if you'd like to know. You know, God will talk to you about things. He'll reveal stuff to us about himself through intimacy. I know things about Becky no one knows about. I know secrets about her. Unfortunately, she knows stuff about me that she wishes she didn't know. Like, don't tell me that. I don't want to know it. You know, uh, tell me, honey, I want to know. I, wanna, and I start telling her, uh-uh, I don't want to hear that. Just let it go. You know, go find some counseling somewhere. <laughs> you need help. I can't, I can't bear that. Men know what I'm talking about. <sighs> and so that's what he said. He said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection. Oh, how many people in here want to know about the power of his resurrection? How many people want to live in the power of his resurrection? I mean, good Lord, aren't we sick and tired of a powerless lifestyle? How many people pray about the power of God? I mean, like, God, I'm tired of praying for people, and they die, or they get sick, or they lose their, they go bankrupt. I'm tired of that kind of praying. And he's asked the Lord, what the heck is wrong with my prayers? Where's the power at, Lord? Why am I not been able to pray for people? I don't know about you, but I'm just a good prayer to pray. He started asking the Lord, why ain't, why ain't this? Why ain't that? And, you know. But then he says this other part that just bothers me, the fellowship of his sufferings. You know what that word fellowship means? Some of you will love this word, fellowship. Especially some older Christians who've been around a long time. They, it was a famous word in the 70s called koinonia. That's what it means. Y'all know what corner means? It means fellowship. It means friendship. It means connection, community. Everything that was really important at one time. There's people who have named streets, Cornelia, because it meant something to them. It was, they were touched by God and, and community with other people or community with Him. Friendship and fellowship with Him. It's a beautiful word in the Bible. But here he's talking about this cornea of suffering. Of suffering. Who, what kind of Christianity wants to fellowship with suffering? What kind of people want to identify with pain and sorrow? What you tell me, I mean, that's insane. That's, that's brutal. That's sadistic. 
Nobody wants to do that in their right mind. Nobody. And you will find in Jesus, Jesus did not consider, he did not consider suffering a virtue. But he considered it something that must take place in his life. He considered it as something he had to pass through to get to something greater. And he passed through it. You know, like I say, I've heard a lot of good preachers on this. and Even David Harwood, well, he shared with me one time. I said, I don't want to hear it. I don't even agree with it. So, I wanted to say this about that word suffering. It's, if you was a really brilliant Greek thing, mind person, you would know that the root word for suffering and the root, root word for passion in the Greek Bible are the same word. That's why there was a movie called The Passion of Christ. Do you ever think about that? Duh, Passion of Christ? That's the suffering of Christ. There's no passion in that. But there are. There, are, there is a passion in suffering. Christ, it was his passion to suffer. It was his passion. His passion was not for the suffering. His passion was for us. And it caused him. That's why they, it's called the passion. The passion of Christ. The passion play. It's because it's talking about his suffering. His suffering was something that was important to him. Are y'all following that? Yeah. It, it says that in Hebrews. He, he, you know, it's like he endured it. He went through it. Because there was something in front of him. There was something he was reaching for. And it was us. He was reaching. God was reaching for us. And that's why it was a passion. It was God's love. God loved us. And he went through what he went through. It was his passion, his desire. He didn't do it because somebody said he had to. He didn't do it because man fell. He did it because he loved us. Every one of us. And if you were the only human being on the earth, he'd have done the same thing for you to get to you. That's passion. That's love. Reaching for a person and willing to suffer to get their hands on this person. Are y'all all right? Whew. So, here's some thoughts. I want to say this. If you have never suffered, you have never loved. Now, I'm just going to tell you that right now. If you have never suffered, you've never loved. A lot of people think love is the absence of pain. But I'm going to tell you what. It's the promise of pain. If you love somebody, it's going to bring pain in your life. There's no way around it. Pain is right in the same room with suffering or with, with love. When love walks in, pain walks in with love. That's what we see in Christ. Okay? There's always going to be some scars associated with love. That's a thought. Next thing is, is risk. Love, love risks everything. Uh, woo! Mercy, Lord, right? I don't know what y'all think about this but sometimes God speaks to me in songs um, in fact God talks to me a lot in songs unfortunately or fortunately however you want to look at it they're not Christian songs they are songs that somebody in the world wrote somebody who 
may not even like God or somebody who might be against God, but when you wake up day after day, week after week, after I had this encounter, I kept waking up this song in my head. Why is this song in my head? It was written by Tina Turner. You know what the name of it is. What's love got to do with it? Tina Turner wrote this song because she married a man named Ike Turner. Ike Turner was an abuser. Ike Turner was an abuser. He abused her. He beat her. That's why she wrote the song. I wanted to read the chorus to you because this is what I kept hearing. Every morning I'd wake up. It says, oh, what's love got to do, got to do with it? What's love but a secondhand emotion? What's love got to do, got to do with it? Who needs a heart when a heart can be broken? Who needs a heart? And see, that was her response to being crushed by this man. Is she shut her heart down and says, I don't need love. I don't want love because love has hurt me. Love has hurt me. Love has hurt me. That's why she wrote the song. And I was asking the Lord, what in the world are you trying to say to me? What has love got to do with it? It has to do with the suffering. You know? It's like we want to be part of the power. We want the power of God. We want that. But we're not willing to embrace this thing called suffering. And that's what Paul was talking about. There's a fellowship of suffering. Because if we don't fellowship in that suffering, we're going to hinder his power from flowing in our life. So you risk something. You risk being betrayed. You risk being rejected. You risk resist everything when you love somebody. You open your heart up to a, a woman that you love. She can walk all over your heart. She can kick your heart to the curve. She can betray you. She can reject you. She can wound you and wound you and hurt you so bad. And she can leave you or he can and, and desert you. That's pain. That's pain, but that's the risk that God took with us. He opened himself up and he risked everything that people, because he loved us and he knew there were going to be people that would despise him and that would make images of the devil and worship the devil. He knew that, but he still loved those people. He still loved them. He opened his heart to them, even though he knew that they were going to hurt him. They were going to speak bad things about him, but it didn't stop him. It didn't stop him. He pressed through it. He pressed through it. That's what love's got to do with it. Are y'all okay? Here's number three. I just wrote down little three little points. Uh, love drives us to give everything and leave nothing on the table. Love drives us to give everything. My best example of that is when I met Becky... I gave everything I had for her. Everything, because I loved her and I wanted her. And so I completely adjusted my whole life around her. So much so I almost fell out of school. And I was really into this being a good student. But somehow I was able to, you know, recapture. But uh, I wanted to read this other thing that I read. Um, Do you all know who Melissa Milano is? Uh, anybody know she is? Yes, she is an actress, okay? Uh, Saved by the Bell was a, a kids, popular kids show a few years, several years ago. You know, and, no? Who's the boss? Who? Who's the boss? Who's the boss? Okay, 
Sorry. Who's the boss? I, like, see, I don't know a whole lot. But I wanted to read this. It's Who's the Boss? You know, remember that, that show, Who's the Boss? That was a pretty good show, right? The woman was the boss. That was the whole point. <laughs> Anyways, here's what she said recently. This is, this is beautiful. I don't know if she's a believer or not, but she, she's talking about love. She, she, would, she said this. I would say that, that the love that you feel is so profound that it's life-altering. But it's like living with your heart outside of your body. Opposite of Tina. Because you allow yourself to love so deeply, you become so incredibly vulnerable. And with those vulnerabilities, you're able to explore who you are as a human being. And see, to me, that really captures how God lived his life. Is he lived with his heart outside of his body. He became incredibly vulnerable by come, becoming a man and suffering and, and, and giving himself to everybody, to every person he met. He gave himself in some way to them. He, he lived that. He lived that way. He didn't do, he didn't close his heart down when he was rejected. Even when he was dying on the cross, his heart, for the people who killed him, he was saying, Father, don't hold it against them. His heart was still out there for him. Still out there for him. So, I think what Melissa was saying is this, is one of the things I felt, you can really never know your true self. If you live with your heart shut down, Inside of you, you will not find out who you really are. Everybody, all this thing about identity and genuineness, it won't work unless you let that heart get out here, out here on the outside, and let it be vulnerable. And, and knowing that when you do that, it's going to get hurt. Knowing it's going to get disappointed. You're going to make yourself vulnerable to God again, and you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to get disappointed by God. You're going to feel like God let you down. You, it, you can't escape it. If you walk with God long enough, there'll be that day in your life. I don't care what anybody says. There'll be a day when you feel like God's let me down. And God has disappointed me. And there's so many Christians that do this. This is what they do. They take their little spiritual zipper and they zip their little hearts back up. They zip it all the way to the top. And they just go through the motions. Because they're like Tina. It's a second-hand emotion. I'm not going to dare risk myself again. I'm not going to dare put my heart out there again because it's going to get trampled on. Yes, it is. Yes, it's going to get trampled. Yes, you're going to have dreams that are going to get crushed again. Yes, you're going to have that. You're going to suffer. You're going to suffer. But I'm going to tell you this. And when you're suffering, you come closer to touching God than you will any other time in your life. That's when you can. That's what he's talking about. That's what Paul was saying. Because Paul suffered. He suffered a lot, and he knew in that suffering he came real close to God, more than he could come any other way. And he knew that's what really releases this power that's in me. It's when I can walk through this suffering. No, I'm not going to lift up suffering. I'm not calling suffering a virtue. I don't love it. But I know on the other side of this suffering, there's revelation, there's glory, there's purpose that can be released. Are you all okay? All right, let me read this one, one last scripture. John 20, 19 through 21. This is a favorite scripture of mine. 
There's so much in it. This is when Jesus was resurrected. Uh, then it says, it says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled, for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. Okay, peace be with you. So somehow Jesus walked through the wall. It's pretty powerful, right? And said, peace be with you. When he said this, listen to this, he showed them his hands and his side. He showed them his scars. Now that's important. Then, once they saw the scars, that's important. His disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Up to that moment, they weren't glad. Up to that moment, Something was going on. In fact, the word Jesus spoke to them didn't even take. He said peace to them. It didn't take. Then he said, look at my scars. And then they were glad. And then he said it again, peace to you. And then they was able to receive his peace. And then he gave them a commission. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Now, that's all that's really important. Because here's the thing. And later, we know in that same chapter... Poor old doubting bad Thomas. Everybody runs him down in the dirt. <laughs> Jesus went even one step further with him and said, Here, take him. Let me hold your hand. And he stuffed his hands into his scars. He touched, he touched the scars of Christ. Can you imagine touching those scars? The scars of God that God has chosen to keep. He could have taken and healed those scars. And where there wouldn't have been a scar there. But God chose not to heal those scars. He chose to keep his scars. See, there's a difference between a wound and a scar. A lot of Christians are walking around with open wounds in their bodies because of what they've gone through. But then there's some people who walk around with wounds or with uh, scars because God has somehow, they've allowed God somehow to heal them, but God didn't take away the scars because the way God wants to reveal himself to people and to release his love to people is through scars. And the way he wants to use people on this earth, his people, it's the same way. It's through our hurt, through our pain that we went through. But we got through it. But we got scars to show it. We got defeat to show it. But we got through it. You got through it. And God has said, listen, I've healed you. I just am not going to take those scars away. I'm not going to take those memories away. But that's your power. That's the fellowship of suffering. That's when you can connect with me. Your scars and my scars. That's where there's a communion. And that's where I can begin to do things in your life. And that's really the truth. And so when we get in these terrible things, we start begging, why, Lord, why? Everybody does it, right? That's normal. I mean, if you didn't say it, they're like, something's wrong with them, right? They're not asking God why this happened to them. Why did my life leave me? Why did, why did my ministry fail? Why did this happen? Why did that happen? Maybe after we asked that for, you know, however long we had to ask it and God never answered a word. Have you noticed that about God when you're in your worst moment? Have you noticed how God has so little to say to you? Like you're in your despair. You're struggling. You need God more than ever. God ain't said nothing nowhere. I talked to a man this week. He went through this terrible thing. And he knew a lot of these high-level prophet people. And he called them like, I need a word from the Lord. He said, well, I said, I'll call you back in 10 minutes. He ain't heard nothing from any of them. 
And he said, God ain't said nothing to me about this. And he was in pain. He was suffering. I mean, he knows how that God seems to be that way. That's just the way he is. Because it's not a time, it's, it's a fellowship, it's a communion, it's a koinonia with him in that moment. It's really what he wants to reveal to us and gets us to the other side of it, to the joy on the other side of it, and to the compassion on the other side of it. And I think God really wants us to say, okay, Lord, I don't really get this. I really don't. I don't get this. I don't like this. I really don't. Just get, I want to get through it. I want to get through it. I want to get healed, Lord. I want to get healed. And I'm willing to keep my heart out here. I'm going to unzip my heart and put it back out there for you to love again, to be loved again, to, to give love again. Um, I'll t- finish with this. <clears throat> Since uh, none of the family is here th- this morning, is one of the, my greatest and worst moments. And I say great, but it don't even sound like saying great. was this terrible day back in 2009 when Matt Stewart was murdered, this guy that didn't know him in our church, and we went to their house, and the police were there, and, you know, they had the yellow tape around the yard, and there was, it was confusion, and it was just terrible. And I went up to the police, the chief of police, and said, and introduced myself to him, and told him my relationship with Matt, and he said, well, here, here's what you can do. Here's my, my car's right here at the front. Go sit down on my car and just pray. That's what we need. We need he was a believer. He was a, we need help. We need prayer. Go sit there and pray. And it was just terrible. It was terrible. Lord, what the heck? Why? What are you doing, God? Why did you let this man get murdered? I mean, that was what I was saying to God. And then this odd thing happened to me. This really weird thing happened to me. I felt this presence come. And I felt this presence touch me. And when it was, it was like a man who was nothing but a tore up man. His his body was torn up. It was the Lord. It was this Lord himself. It was God touching me at that moment. And all I felt was this scarred up body. Because you know what? His, he don't just have a little hole in his hand, a hole in his foot, and a hole in his side. He was, his body is a scarred up. And Isaiah says he was totally unrecognizable. His own mama, his own mama didn't know that's my son up there. Because he was beaten and, his, so, and God did not, and when we get to heaven, we're going to look at God Almighty and we're going to see nothing but scars. But everyone in those scars is going to say, I love you. These are here because of my love. That's, that's what this, all this means. It, and that's why God was asking all these people when they got to heaven and Bob Jones' encounter was, did you learn about this? Did you find out about this? Did you find out about my love for you? And did you let me love you to the point where you could get your heart back out here again and start living a life again, a life of dreams, a life of vision, a life of encounter and having a future and having a hope and still still that other life. You all okay? 
And I think that God, that's, that's what I wanted to somehow try to say is it's just time for people. It's time for us to live. To, it's, number one is be healed. Okay? It's time for people to be healed from, from the past. It's just time. It's time to be for that to be done. And let your life be, let, let there be the scars. And unzip your heart again. That's, it's just time for that. I just feel like that's what God was saying to me. It's time, it's time to do that. It's time to put your heart back out there and let God love you again. Let God love you again. Because I believe the next thing that God really wants to do is release the love out of his people to to all those people out there who don't know about the love. But it ain't going to be just chitter-chatter. It's not going to be theology. It's going to be coming from people who did what Jesus did. We entered into that place of suffering, but we didn't stay there. We walked out of there. We walked out of there, and we got healed, and we're all scarred up over it. Our past left scars on us. It left, but we're ready to take those scars and minister to those who are suffering. That's the compassion of the Lord, and I believe when it comes... I just believe this. I'm just going to tell you this. It's going to be an irresistible force. I don't care who you are. You will not be able to resist it. You will look at somebody who's sick and you will not be able to resist. You will want to get them healed. You want to get them saved. You will get, want to get the day. You will not be able to resist because it will be God's love being poured through you. I believe that's what God wants to do. Amen. Won't you stand up and I'm going to pray for you right quick. Pray that the Lord will just have mercy on all of us. So if you want to get this book, make sure you do. It's really easy. This is like a one, you know, one, you know, couple. I read it. For, I read half of it, and then I had to go somewhere, and I came back and read the other half, you know, all in one day. It's just really well, well, well written. And it's just really beautiful. It's a beautiful word. And so... Lord, I'm just going to ask you for everybody in the room that you would let them have a new experience of your love. That's, Lord, that's the only thing that will get us, get us healed. I pray that, Lord, in Jesus' name. I pray for the encounter of God's love. Mm. It's, I wanted to say this. Um... I've talked a lot, and we've talked a lot about the Father's love, okay? The Father, so I'm giving you a little differentiation my way. This is just how I'm trying to communicate this. I see the Father's love as as God loving me, loving me, okay? It's just me receiving from the Father 
in heaven, revealing his heart, revealing himself to me, healing me. Then the Bible talks about something called Christ's love. That's in Ephesians 3, Paul's prayer, that we know the love of Christ. Then he says that we might be filled with the fullness of God. So I was thinking, for me, the Father's love is for me. Christ's love is for it's for everybody else. It's that love that the Father pours into me that God wants it to pour out. He wants it to pour out. And I'm praying that we would get to that tipping point. We would get to that tipping point with love where it would just tip over and start flowing out of us. And it, it, we would feel that. We would feel loved. We would feel, I felt so deeply loved that day. I'm telling you, I felt deeply loved. I felt loved beyond anything I, that you could, anybody could feel. It's not, it wasn't human. It wasn't natural. And I also felt, um, I felt loving, and I knew it wasn't me because I'm not just like much, uh, you know, I'm all loving everybody. I'm not one of those kind of people who even fuss at me like, well, I try to hug you and you just stand there, and you know, kind of like a, you know, a mannequin. You don't, you know, you don't really want nobody to love on you and, but I'm telling you, man, I felt this, and it felt eerie. I could look at a person, and I could look into their eyes. I mean, even some people who were not good people, but I could look into their eyes. I could see down into their souls, and I had nothing but love for them, even beyond all the bad stuff. And that's what the Lord wants to do for us. He wants us to be loved so much that it just pours out. Lord, that's what we're asking to do. Today, we pray, I pray for every person in the room. I pray, you'd, I pray for the wounds to be healed. And let the scars form now, Lord. Let the scars form. Let, the, let us be happy with our scars. Because they're scars of love. We fellowship with you. We've touched God and, and suffer. And I pray that. And I pray, Lord, that the power, the power, because there's nothing more powerful than love. There's nothing more powerful than love. Jesus healed because he had compassion. Jesus did miracles because he had compassion. He saw a woman who had one child and was dead. And God had compassion. He couldn't resist it. He just said, I can't walk away and for her to experience this loss. And he brought the boy back. That was compassion. That was power. And that's what God wants to do in the earth. And I pray, Lord, that we're better to do it now. I pray this is a new day, Lord. It's time to move forward, Lord. I pray for everybody. There's nobody could needs to be left out. Nobody needs to feel they can't have this. Everybody, Lord, I pray somehow you convince, convince us all, Lord, that we could have it. Amen. Thank you, Lord. We could get the ministry team up. We want to pray for you this morning. If it's you that feels like your heart needs to be unzipped this morning to allow the love of God in, I just want you to come forward and let the ministry team pray for you. I also feel like the Lord wants to release fresh encounters of his love on people as we lay hands on them. And, um, you know, it's so many times when someone lays hands on you, there is just such victory that gets released so please don't hesitate to come get prayed for. And um, this really is the Lord speaking. I, 
felt like, you know, the week that the uh, Supreme Court over, they passed the law of homosexuals can now be married. Sarah said to me that the Lord, Sarah Bollinger was here that following Sunday. She says, you know, Becky, the Lord spoke to me and said this, love wins. And every time it's going to win. And so there's no court really that can withstand the love of God. So we're going to win, but we're going to win by love. And it's the truth, no matter what courts are come and go, but the love of God will always prevail in, in Christ, through the body of Christ, so we can be encouraged. I believe the Lord is releasing encouragement to, do, to us today, but our hearts have to get healed, unzipped, let His love pour in again so we can run the race fresh to reveal the love of God to the world around us. Because no matter what, love is going to win. It's going to win every time. So amen. We love you all. Be blessed. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? It's so good to be in the house to get refreshed, renewed, the truth being preached, spending time with one another. So come and get prayer. We love you. Lord, we just ask you, Holy Ghost, to come. Come upon this body of people that have heard this word today. And Lord, may hearts be healed. Lord, may we go out of here, our hearts unzipped, healed. Lord, that we can go out and be filled with your love and bring world to a bring your love to a hurting world around us. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Be blessed, be dismissed. Amen.